So that being said, uh, we'll get started in uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 2. So if you'll turn there. Um, there's a lot of passages of Scripture that we want to go to today. So uh, I hope everybody's ready to Bibles and get there and just jump on it. If I ever gets there first, uh, let's read. So we have quite a bit to get through today. Um, I believe this. I don't know that this is a fundamental truth that the Bible teaches, but certainly principally we can... The degree to which we know the depth of our miserable condition apart from Christ and the other side and the richness of God's mercies toward us in Christ is the degree to which our hearts pant after God and His... So, what is... I'll repeat that again. The degree to which we know the depth of our miserable condition apart from Christ and the richness of God's mercies toward us is the degree to which our hearts pant after God's Word. As the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for you. So I thought it would be prudent to begin today with, um, which are, with our natural condition. I mean, what is the extent of our natural condition? This was a, a, a wonderful study for me personally, because it's been a while since I've been into this kind of uh, study. But uh, it's, uh, it's a glorious study when coupled with the mercy of God. Because the outcome is remarkable. It is fine. It is only by God's doing. It's nothing that I could do or man. So, what is the extent of our natural condition? Um, I want to begin reading in Ephesians chapter 1. Um, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, says this. Um, by the way, I think it's important to, to note... The book of Ephesians, what is happening kind of thematically? What's going on in the book of Ephesians? The book of Ephesians is an explanation, if you will, or a picture of God the Father, God the Father creating a body for His Son, a building for the Holy Spirit made of living stones. That's what's happening in the book of Ephesians. It's God the Father building or creating a body for His Son and constructing a building for the Holy Spirit. And that building is made of living stones. So that's, that's kind of what's going on in the background of Ephesians. And I think that helps us. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, we read, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Uh, what does that mean? Well, obviously, you know, the physical body is not dead, right? But, but what is dead is our spiritual. We have no life, zero life, a spiritual life. Um, and, uh, and that, that uh, certainly uh, means a lot. In Colossians, and I don't want you necessarily to be turning here. I'll turn. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 says something very similar. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. So uh, we are spiritually dead. In our natural human state, are dead spiritually before God. And Anne said it very, very eloquently, nothing. <laughs> nothing. There's, there's, there's nothing. And that, that 
that, that also includes, really, we have no hope. We can't create a spiritual life that our souls long for. There are many religions in the earth, uh, world, that, that, uh, that claim they can do that. Claim they can do that through um, certain kinds of works, certain kinds of uh, sacraments, and, and other different denominations say, listen, we're dead, but if we do these seven things, we'll be okay. Provided, after we die, somebody will pray us and into this heaven, if you will. So there are these earthly um, methodologies that, frankly, nothing. They mean nothing. So we are guilty and condemned. We're guilty and condemned because we're born with a sinful nature that we've inherited from Adam. Turn to Romans chapter five, verse Romans chapter five, verse twelve says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, so death spread to all men, because all sinned. And then in verse eighteen, so then as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men. So the Bible says that we are guilty and we are condemned, and that, that's a federal offense. That is that 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 covers everyone past Adam, including Adam. The Bible says that we were born, we were conceived. So guilty and condemned uh, have a, a total lack of good in us. We'll stay in Romans chapter seven. Romans chapter seven. Verse 18 says this, For I know that nothing good dwells in me. That, in our flesh, in our nothing good dwells. We have a discussion about this, this idea of nothing good, about the depravity of man. I'm not trying to dull the edge of the truth of God's word when I ask this question, so let's have a discussion about this. Because, okay, if, if we are totally depraved, how come I'm not out? side of these four walls out murdering people. So what does that mean that we are completely, or we are totally? Does that mean that we are out doing those wicked things every five minutes of the day? What does it mean? That's a good inroad. Um, what else have anything they want to add else? Good. It's like uh, leaven in bread, right? It, it, total depravity, if I wanted to give an analogy, it's like leaven in bread, okay? It filtrates every part of us. Not that, again, we're outside of these walls or doing wicked way, but the fact that this sin, this depravity, infiltrates every single part of our being. Depravity means. And so the Bible says in Romans chapter 7, verse 18, that uh, there's nothing good that dwells in us. Nothing good that dwells in us. And the point here, remember, is we're, we're trying to understand here the extent of our natural condition. Because when we understand the extent of our natural condition, mercy of God is awesome it is it is prostrate humbling it is it is a remarkable thing uh, titus chapter 1 verse 15 if somebody could go there and then somebody could go to jeremiah 17:9 which most of you probably have memorized but titus 1:15 somebody jumped there and then jeremiah 17:9 okay that's titus 1:15 both our our mind and our consciences are are just utterly defiled jeremiah 17:9 yeah. So, 
our dead nature, what's the extent of our natural condition, our, in our nature, our, our fleshly nature, and there is no good in us. That's what Scripture says. And in Romans chapter 8, verse 7 and 8, um, along with these others, uh, these other two, we have that, that we are completely unable to know God or to please Him. Unable, fleshly nature, to know God or to please Him. Because the mind, verse 7, chapter 8 of Romans, because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So, we, we are humanly incapable um, of subjecting ourselves to God's word, obeying it. We are humanly incapable of pleasing God. And so, this is, what is the extent of our natural condition? Uh, who would read John chapter 8, uh, verses 43 and through 45? And then somebody jumped to 1 Corinthians 2.14. Oh, is John? John chapter 8, verses 43 through. Now, see, in our natural, in our human, natural human state, follow what is natural to us, who are our leader, and the Bible says the devil. We follow him. Liar. Cannot comprehend, not understand. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Good. So we get back to... What does our deadness mean? That means spiritually, we're in spiritually we're dead. There's nothing, right? And uh, and and we're kind of coming to the other bookend side of this. They're spiritually discerned. God's word, God's nature is spiritually discerned, and we, as in our fleshly, uh, in our human nature, are completely unable to know. God. And so, this is um, this is the extent of our natural condition. Uh, this is a deadly nature, uh, but but you know let's go beyond just our own person, right? I mean that's who we are as individuals. You know if we go back to Ephesians chapter two, take a look at um, it's not just it's not just us that's the problem, but it's our whole environment. It's everything around us, okay? And we read that in Ephesians chapter two. Uh, and you were dead in your trespasses and sin, verse 2, we'll read verse 2 and 3, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. Number one, okay? Number one, there's three things that we're going to come across here in these two verses that, that deal with the environment that we are in, an unbeliever. That don't, they don't help us, okay? Number one, the course of this world. Number two, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Okay, so the second thing is what? So number one, the world around us is is, is what? It, I mean, it's, 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 it's bad. Okay, number two, there's a certain kind of leadership, right? What's the leadership? Satan, right? We already learned in, in, in John, right, that, you know, we can't understand, and we only follow what we understand and, and believe through, which is the devil. So, so that's another problem. So we got hostile peers, right, and hostile prince, right, and then the third and last thing is is what we read in verse three. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature 
children of wrath, even as the rest. So, so we have hostile peers around us. We have a hostile leader who absolutely hates us, right? And, and, and we follow unbeliever. And the third is hostile passions, those three things. But we not only have a problem that we, have, we are dead and unable to know God, but, but everything around us is supporting that deadness. It's all supporting deadness. Would you say that that's hopeless and miserable? It, it is hopeless. There is, there's, there's, no, uh, there's nothing about that we can hedge. Well, it's, it's almost all hopeless, but a little bit. There's a little glimmer. There's nothing. There's nothing. Nothing that is of any help to an unbeliever. Every part of every element of your being and life is hopeless and miserable. Yes, yeah. Right. And, and, if, and, if, and if everyone, you know, and I know some of you were saved at a very early age, so some of that is, you know, I was saved 28. So there's, I mean, bam, there's a lot that I could bring to the table and say, I mean, I was so frustrated because... I wanted to know this God, but it was hopeless. It was hopeless. I was so frustrated in my heart. I shared this um, with our community group Thursday night. When I, when I passed by that, that homeless woman in the street in Houston, Texas, that was absolutely the most hopeless time in my life. I said, if God can't help this woman who's laying in the street sick, I have no hope. I mean, why would he do that? It was that utter hopelessness that was completely surrounding me. It was in me. I didn't really understand it, but I, I knew it personally. It was around me, and it, it, it just was hope. That's, that's where we're at. We are hopeless, miserable, condemned, apart from God's mercy. We have no hope. Zip, zero, zilt. So, so what is the mercy of God? What is the mercy of God? And, you know, I... Look at scripture, and uh, I, I look at commentaries. I look at uh, books that I own as far as theology, and take a look at all those definitions, and and try to begin to piece together, you know, uh, other people's perspectives of these kinds of things. And so this is not unique to Sam Jim Pop. It's simply just a culmination of what I've read and and put together. Uh, what is the mercy of God? It is the compassion of God. Aroused on the account of on account of his love for us, while we are in a hopeless and miserable condition, to graciously redeem us from what from what we deserve. That that is that is the mercy difference. Uh, oftentimes, mercy and grace are kind of interchanged, but there's a, there is a difference between those. Mercy is really sort of uh, uh, it's it's like an, an an empathy. It's a pity. Look at someone um, who who needs help. And, and, and they, they can't do it, and, and you help them. Okay? It's that pity, it's that, that empathy that, you, that, that wells up in your heart when you see someone that has great need and they can't, and you, you, that's, that's what mercy is. Um, and of course, you know, we deserve condemnation. That it's, it's simple. Um, and, and there are... Uh, I don't want to get into that. I just that popped into my mind. It's not good when you're on track and something pops into your mind. <laughs> yeah. Because you could get off on rabbit trails. 
it, it, well, it's a lot of fun for the speaker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it could be a lot of fun for the speaker sometimes. It ends up being, uh, oh, I have to say this. Uh, this just popped into my mind. This is weird, man. So um, Deborah and I and our kids uh, ministered at a, um, a senior assisted living home um, many times. Not many times. It was like every week for years in South Carolina. And um, some of the folks who would come were sound in their minds, and other folks, uh, I wouldn't say were not sound. They were on the, on the edge, okay? And they would kind of come in and out of reality. <laughs> Talking about speaking, you know, as a teacher. There's this one woman. What was her name, hon? Vera. Vera. I love Vera. I, I believe Vera was saved um, because she was really crossing the line, didn't know people very well at all, her kids or anything like that. And, but she would come to these services, and she wouldn't really listen, and she wouldn't really understand what I said. But you know, when we sang hymns, she knew them. She sang them from the start, every word, from the start to the very finish. But the old yes, the yeah, amazing grace. And, and Well, that's all we sang was with the old hymns. And, um, and so uh, it was uh, wonderful to see. She had, a, she had a, uh, a sidekick, and I can't remember her name. Um, but her sidekick was, she was, she was a mouse. She, Mabel, no, no, Mabel was the Mabel one I'm talking about. Vera. Vera was her sidekick. Vera was, she was, uh, she was a little terse, you know. Not really bad, but she'd say what's on her mind. And one time I'm, I'm up there talking and uh, and she turned to you, was it? She turned to my wife and she says, boy, that guy. <laughs> and then they say it so loudly. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Then he goes, he goes, on and on and on. And I'm just there going, oh, my goodness. Do you, maybe I do like to hear myself talk. So anyway, these rabbit trails things made me think of, well, maybe he just likes to hear himself talk. <laughs> yeah, it's a, Anyway, see, I, I wanted to get off on a rabbit trail. I got off on a rabbit trail. Okay, so, so we have here the extent of our natural condition. It's simply summed up that we are miserable and we are hopeless in our natural state. Uh, we have no hope around us, no hope in this dimension, um, in, in this uh, dark spirit. Uh, everything in us, everything around us is guiding us to condemnation. So what is the extent of God's mercy? Uh, in Romans chapter 9, uh, verse 15 and 18. Yeah, that'd be good. So what does that mean to you? Okay? Okay? Anybody else? It is true, isn't it? So I wanted to, I wanted to, what I wanted to do here with Scripture was, was give you kind of the, the opposite spectrums of the breath, okay? So go go to Second um, Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Somebody read that. So Anne read, um, God simply said, you know, I am sovereign in giving my mercy. I choose who I want to give mercy to and who I don't want to give mercy to, God says. Uh, chapter, yeah, Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Okay, so there you have here, you have on the one hand, you have God is absolute sovereign in, in, in His giving of mercy. And on the other, God wills to have mercy on all whom He can have mercy. Okay, Those, those are both true. 
He wills to have mercy on all whom He can have mercy. Now, and I, I would have to agree with Anne on this. These are, these are truths that uh, when you begin to plumb the depth of those, there's no bottom. There's no, there's no bottom. It just the, the anchor keeps going down and down and down, and it is what it is. Um, so uh, that is true. And again, we're trying to understand here. We're trying to put together a puzzle that says, what really is this mercy of God to me? It is, it is the depth of our depravity and everything around us. It is God can choose and not to give it to us. But he wants to give it to all. Do you see this? I mean, this is kind of, we're not finished yet. This is awesome. It's, it's incredible. So the next question is, how does God manifest his mercy toward us? So let's go back to Ephesians. This is, uh, this is my favorite book in all the Bible. I know we're not supposed to have favorites. Right? I know we're not supposed to have favorites in the, in the Bible, right? It's all inspired. But this is, this is my favorite Bible. It is, uh, it's so rich. It's so deep. It's so high. It's, it's an awesome, awesome book. So how does God manifest his mercy toward us? Well, Ephesians, we're back in Ephesians chapter 2. Here it is. This is, this is the epitome of God's mercy in our hopelessness. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ by grace, you have been saved. This is, this is the mystery that God, that God has finally revealed to this hopeless, miserable world. Uh, it, is, it is remarkable. So, how does God manifest His mercy toward us? Number one, by His love. By His love. And, uh, and then secondly, we read, uh, we read further, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. Okay? And uh, the following verse and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So, uh, the Father raised us from the dead. That's how He manifested. Um, and let's go to chapter 1. And just, and uh, so we have here by His love and the Father raising us from the dead in Christ. But let's look at the timing of all of this. This is a, this is wonderful. When you, when you look at chapter 1, there are many themes that, that run through books of the Bible. Okay, So, um, you know, you have the theme of redemption. You have the theme of God's kindness, the Father's kindness in this book. You have the theme of His timing. Okay, What, what does it mean? So, let's just kind of muse through chapter 1 um, and, and see, you know, how He manifested His mercy toward us. Right? So, Chapter 1, verse 4, we read, well, let's just begin with 3, because it's all good. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Okay? Um, so, so, the Father chose us. What time did He choose us? Where did He pass? 
before the world was created, right? He chose us before that. Have you ever tried to just sit down? Have you? I mean, I have. I mean, everybody has to some degree. But I would just encourage you, get, get quiet. Just, just think on that verse. That is, that's, that's divine. Only God can do that. He chose Mary before the foundation earth was ever laid. That's, that's awesome. That's awesome. Chose her. He didn't know. He didn't know that she was going to decide one day. No, we're not dulling it. Chose her. You will be saved. Let's not dull that edge and say, well, no, come on. You know, we're not going to be too Calvinistic about this or too Arminian about this. And, you know, man chooses and God. No, he chose. Let's let the scripture be sharp here, right? I know, I know there are parts of scripture that we can bring up and say, well, what about? This says he chose. Mary wasn't around for the foundation of the earth. She, she was just... She was just a thought, if you will, in God's mind. That's remarkable. That's, that's remarkable. So, so he chose us. Uh, and then uh, in verse 5, uh, more than that, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself. We, we, we are adopted. So the Father predestined us to adoption. So he, he raises us from the, from the dead. How does that happen? He chooses us. He predestines us in the latter half of that verse according to the kind intention of his will. By the way, this is a, um, this is a, this is a hymn here. Our pastor at our former church um, wrote a hymn um, on Ephesians chapter 1. And I, I was going to go online and I, I don't have it. It's, it is, I would love for our congregation to sing it. Absolutely beautiful. Um, according to the kind intention of his will. The Father did this because He wanted to be kind toward us. He wanted to be, he wanted to be kind toward us. Certainly merciful. Verses 7 and 8 we read, In Him, that is Christ, there's a lot of pronouns here going back and forth, by the way. That's why it's important for you to know, you know who, what pronoun is referring to who. A lot of these are referring to the Father. Some are referring to the Son. But, but it is the Father that's, it's, that's guiding and directing everything here. This chapter. So in Him, meaning Christ... We have redemption through his blood and forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. So the Father did this because he wanted to lavish on us all the riches that are in Christ Jesus. We can start, right? And, you know, sort of pursue that for the rest of our life, right? And uh, we wouldn't get anywhere close to exhausting it. But, but it's because God... The Father wanted to lavish on us all the riches in Christ. Uh, that, that's, that's how God manifests His mercies. And then we read in verse 9, oh, and by the way, and most of you know this, a lot of these verses um, sort of meld sentences together. So as an example, um, when we read verse 7, verse 7 finishes in the middle of verse 8. A sentence finishes in verse 8. Okay? So it finishes, which he lavished on us. Okay, there's a period there. And then there's a new sentence that starts. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him. That's the Father purposing in Christ there. So the Father made known to us what we could not understand and or believe because he wanted to be kind to us. Remember, 
We, we couldn't understand anything, right? We were completely depraved, hopeless, hopeless, miserable, unable to understand anything. But because God in His mercy wanted to be kind to us, He made us understand. He knew that before the foundation of the earth was laid, that He chose Mary, and He knew Mary would be unable, unable to understand. This is mercy. This is mercy uh, beyond uh, our, our appreciation. Read in verse 10. Um, which he purposed in him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times. So the Father's mercy is not arbitrary, but it comes in his perfect timing and in his perfect plan. This, this, uh, this fullness of times, it's, it's uh, the, the word suitable to the administration suitable to the fullness of time, that's, that's this, it's a, it's a, it's a, a very special, you've heard like the phrase um, limelight, right? This is the limelight. Okay, this is the limelight, right? This is the time that this divine limelight comes into history, comes into our history. God says here, to an administration suitable to the fullness of times, and here is Christ. Here is Christ. Here is this mystery um, that, that, that we've had and uh, unable to. And in verse uh, 12 we read, To the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be the praise of His glory. So the Father gives His mercy so that we will do what? We will praise Him. With... And we continue reading verses 13 and 14. You also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in Him, with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. So we have here, the Father's mercy is manifested in a message of truth, the gospel of our salvation wherein we believed and are sealed forevermore by the Holy Spirit. So this is not a temporary mercy giving. What is this? Forever. This, yes, yeah. sealed. Now, yeah, and if any of you have an inkling of maybe we're not secure in our salvation, inkling, please come and talk to me. That is, that is the lie of the devil. I don't want anyone ever believing that. That is, that is a tragedy that anyone would ever believe in salvation. What kind of God do we have? The front to God's power, promise. So, um, I'll get off my soapbox there. So, how does God manifest His mercy toward us? We just, you know, by the Father raising us from the dead, and, and how does all that come about? We just went through that, and then the, the Father seating us with Christ. Uh, back to Ephesians chapter two. Ephesians chapter two, verse six. God, can I? Okay, to Ephesians. Okay, chapter 1, verse 9. Okay, so I'll just read it. The Father made known to us what we could not understand and or believe because He wanted to be kind to us. All right. Can you give us yeah, sure. The next one is the Father's mercy is not arbitrary, but it comes in His perfect timing and in His perfect plan. Okay. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, by the way, yeah, just... Yeah, don't wait. Just... Tell me. I mean, raise your hand. And say, what was, what was, what was the answer to that, teacher? 
as you're taking your test. Yeah, just kidding. Okay. All right, so we're back in Ephesians chapter 2 here, um, trying to answer this question, how does God manifest his mercy toward us? And we read in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, the second half of verse 6, And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So, um, so, so we are helpless, hopeless, miserable, without any ability in and of ourselves. God, in his mercy, through love, reaches down, saves us. He doesn't just save us and give us eternal life. But what does he do with us? Where's, where, where are we, who are we shoulder to shoulder with here? Read this. I mean, we're, we're sitting down with who? Christ. Yes. Yeah, yeah, we, we are, we're seated with him in the heavenly places. And if you go with me to Revelation chapter 3, Revelation chapter 3, verse 21, we read, He who overcomes, will grant to, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my Father on his throne. And of course, who is the overcomer? Yeah, well, right. Right, and, and Jesus is the ultimate overcomer in our place. But in 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5, 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So, in that verse, in Revelation, it's talking about the overcomer. Everyone who believes in Jesus Christ is going to be seated with him. And that's a, that's a position. By the way, we don't even deserve to be in heaven, right? But but here here's more. Wait, it's just not just getting to heaven. Here's more, people. You're going to be sitting with me. You're going to be sitting with me. It is it is it is remarkable. The, the Father um, uh, does that by seeing us, uh, seats us with Christ, um, and of course we're overcomers not because of ourselves, but because we placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and Him alone. Uh, and then Ephesians, back in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, we read verses 7 through 10. Uh, 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 how does God manifest? He, he does it so that the Father can display His, and we read many things in verses 7 through 10. We're not going to call those verses because we're short on time here. But He does that to display His rich grace. He does that to display His kindness. He does that to display His gift givingness. I know that's a word, but I just made it a word. His givingness, his gift givingness. He does that he does that to display his masterpiece created by him and for his son, resulting in good works. By the way, he didn't just he, he didn't just um, choose Mary before the foundation of the earth. He chose good works that she is to do before he to be walking by faith in the Word so that what we do next is His good work. Not complicated. Not complicated. And I'm not excluding other disciplines like prayer that we're going to be talking about you know, in the week and, and other very important disciplines. But when we're walking by faith in His Word, obeying it, abiding in it, whatever happens next is His good work. That's God's good work. Nothing complex about that. So, Next question is, very quickly, we're going to 
rip through this, unfortunately. What does God the Father change when we get saved? Uh, and, and I just gave some primers here. I, I, I kind of want to get it out to you guys, and I, I want you guys to change this. What does God the Father change when we get saved? I don't even know how many I wrote on there, two or three. Uh, the first one was, God changed our sentence of condemnation. We're no longer sentenced to longer. He changed that. Boom. Not guilty. Acquitted. We're, we're, we're no longer guilty. Secondly, he changes his disposition toward us. Formerly, children of wrath, right? Those verses now um, seated with Christ. Talk about spirit positions. What else? What, what does God change? Get saved. Hope. Yeah. That's good. Hope. It's good to have hope. Good. It is good to have hope. Water into wine. Yeah. Transformed. Yeah. Immediately. Good. Nick, raise your hand. You're just waving. The, you were you were getting closer to God. <laughs> okay. 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 Yeah. Very good. Deepmar. Blessed are the merciful shall receive mercy. You become merciful because God has had mercy. What, what, about, what about that hopeless state, right? Everything around us was, was right. Our leader was wicked, right? Our passions. What has he changed? He's changed? He's changed our peers, hasn't he? Right? You remember who you used to hang around with? And I'm not saying we don't hang around with those friends, maybe, who are unsaved. To love them, right? To Christ. And I'm, not, I'm not saying that. I don't mean to infer that. But have any of your peers changed around you? You know, who you hang around with? He's changed your, your environment, right? Of the people that you, you love and appreciate and come to know more and more, right? Yes. Very good. So I would say, uh, I would say, you know, we have, you know, peers. We have the, the um, prince. Uh, our prince is no longer Satan. It's Jesus. That's completely changed. Right. Very good. What satisfies us. Amen. That's good. Yes, and we could say that um, his humiliation is our salvation. Yeah, it's... it's Again, I get back to the community group a couple of weeks ago. We were talking about, you know, the canon of Scripture and how it came together, the miraculous. No human being ever decided to write a book like this. No one. Nobody would ever say, you know what, my heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Nobody would ever think to do that. They would, they would esteem themselves to some degree, right? Or at least give a little bit of false humility along the way and say, well, you know, I need to grow in this and that and those kinds of things. Never. It's remarkable. So, you know, we, we talked about all these things. You guys nailed every single thing that I, I changed our filthy rags to good works. Just remarkable. I hope that um, this was a um, sort of just a, just a little bit of an incubator or great mercy uh, our soul can rest again we're, we're getting back to the whole uh, series here intimacy with God right our soul can rest because God's mercy is more than enough for us Dave can I ask you to pray